I'm glad to be with all of you tonight. Um, I want to start by saying that I'm encouraged by you. Um, a lot of you have come forward and come to me and talked to me about your struggle with depression or anxiety. You've talked to me about how you have thought about these passages of scripture that I've mentioned or how you've helped a friend. And man, it's just so encouraging to hear your stories and, and to hear your um, what you, what you what we like to share. So I just want to praise God for allowing us to talk about these things. I'm humbled to be able to do so, and I'm glad that we're able to share each other's burdens. Um, last week, we looked in detail at what is depression, what is anxiety. My goal was to get you to start thinking about these things in light of a Christian worldview, and for you to see that the Bible speaks to these things sufficiently. Tonight, my goal is to teach you how to respond to these things, how to respond to fear, how do we respond to anxiety and depression. If you missed last week, the recording is on our website. Uh, it might be really helpful for you to go back and listen. Um, I don't say that because I, I did such a great job. I said that because I literally just word vomited tons of information on all of you. Um, so it might be helpful for you to go back and um, listen to that if you missed it. But Tonight, we need to start with how do we think about emotions as a whole? We're going to talk about anxiety. We're going to talk about depression. But how do we rightfully think about emotions? We talk about emotions a lot in our day-to-day uh, -day speech, right? We may beat around the bush and we may make excuses for emotions that, that we know are wrong, that are messy, that we don't really like about ourselves. We'll say things like, I'm not angry, I'm just frustrated. I'm just upset. Or I'm not worried, I'm, I'm stressed out. We downplay these things because we know that they're wrong. And if we don't call it anger, somehow we're not guilty. And somehow we don't have to deal with it. But what is the proper role? What is the proper role of emotions? And how do we think about them? As image bearers, of the triune God, you were made with emotion. This is a good thing. This means that you were created to respond to things as God does, to hate what he hates, to hate what he hates and love what he loves. This includes emotions like anger and grief, emotions that, uh, language that we see used for God. These are proper responses to injustice or proper responses to loss. Our emotions are an expression of what we value and what we love the most. So instead of downplaying them or making them ultimate, we need to be better at listening to them. One author says, where godly joy, for example, flows from a heart that treasures what God treasures and sees God's purpose advancing, godly distress comes from a heart that treasures what God treasures and sees his will being violated. Righteous grief has tasted and seen that God is good and that the loss of his good gifts is painful. These emotions are good things. I'm gonna give you a personal example. I love baseball. I love it to death. My dad uh, sought to ingrain that in me and he did a good job. I love watching the Atlanta Braves play baseball. My feelings reflect this. I know that I love this because my feelings reflect that love. I have a sense of joy and excitement when the season rolls around. I'm happy when they win, and I'm way too angry when they lose. And that happens a lot. 
but my wife could care less. And a lot of you are like, I could care less. And you know how my wife could care less? You know how I know that she could care less? She doesn't show these emotions. Now, she's a wonderful wife and she's excited about what I get excited about. And, and she may say that she likes baseball, but I know that just because she loves me. If emotions are a reflection of our love and our worship, then this means we are responsible to God for how we respond to them. I'm going to say that one more time. If our emotions are a reflection of what we love and what we worship, then we are responsible to God for how we respond to them. When our emotions are screaming at us, saying, you're worshiping the wrong thing. Your heart's not in the right place. You must take note and you must take proper action. Emotions are not guides. We don't let them determine what we believe, but, or we shouldn't let them determine what we believe, but we do, right? Often we'll read a passage of scripture and we'll, we'll say, I don't like that. That doesn't feel right. If your emotions are your guide, scripture will not be. The Holy Spirit will not be. If you are guided by your emotions, you're going to be tossed around. You're going to believe this and believe that. You're going to be up and you're going to be down. We do not let every emotion that comes our way dictate what we do and what we say. Instead, we submit our thoughts and submit our emotions to Christ and we obey him in every circumstance that he places us in. We are fallen and our emotions are depraved. We don't always feel the right thing. You're not going to hear that from the world. The world is going to tell you that whatever you feel is right. But we don't always feel the right thing. So our emotional selves need to be born again. Our emotional selves need to be made new. They need to be conformed into the image of Christ. If we are not born again in in Christ, our emotions are always going to reflect a love and a worship of ourselves and of the world. Emotions are not guides, but they're gauges to our hearts. When you have been born again, Christ redirects your emotions for a love and a worship that is geared towards him. And when they are not doing so, we repent. The appropriate role of emotions is to reveal whether or not you love and worship properly, whether you're loving Christ and worshiping Christ. I have a a 17-month-old son. A lot of you um, get to see him um, run up and down these aisles. I got to tell you, I love being his dad. I mean, it's so much fun. He makes us laugh all the time. He'll wave at you like this, and he'll, he'll blow kisses at you. It's really, really fun. He's a goofball at heart. But you know what else he does? He doesn't listen. He disobeys often. And it can rapidly, I mean, y'all, this is scary. It can rapidly cause a strong temptation, a strong emotional response in my heart to sinful anger. It's so easy for me to be sinfully 
angry and to sinfully engage with that anger and respond to it. I can become irritable and annoyed and I can discipline him in anger, which only provokes his disobedience more. And then what happens? Suddenly, I'm irritated with my wife and I'm expressing anger towards her now. All the while I'm rationalizing it, my flesh is rationalizing that anger because I've had a long day, because I'm tired. And it would be great if I could just get some rest, get some peace and quiet and wind down. That anger was a response to my heart not getting what it wants. My heart was not oriented towards Christ. But I also, have the pro- I also have the option to handle this problem God's way. When that temptation, when that anger begins, I can choose to be patient with my son. I can discipline him out of love and a reverence to God. I can choose not to be a passive father. And I can actually deal with that disobedience, but in a godly way. And if that anger lingers, if it's still there, I can confess that I'm in the flesh right now. I can confess to my son, son, I'm in the flesh. Confess to my wife, I'm in the flesh. If I'm not being led by the spirit right now, so if I act on this, my actions are not gonna be pleasing to God. And I can remove myself and I can pause and I can pray for God to help me to set my mind on the spirit. And I can come back and I can do something that's going to be pleasing to him because I'm acting in the flesh. I mean, I'm acting in the spirit. Our emotions and our feelings are to be tested by God's word, by the Holy Spirit, by prayer, and by wise counselors. So let your emotions reveal bigger things that are going on in your heart. Do you worry all the time and you're trying to control everything, causing you to lack peace? You're not resting in Christ. Is your sadness and your grief leading you to a lack of self-control, to laziness? Your grief has taken a wrong turn. You need to repent and go back to, to Christ. And this takes time. Are your emotions producing the fruits of the spirit or the fruits of the flesh? All of our emotions can produce the fruits of the spirit if we allow them to reflect what we truly love and respond to them properly. This does take time. It takes great help from the Holy Spirit. But what about emotions that we really don't know what to do with, like depression and fear and anxiety? How can we let they, them put, produce good fruit? Last week, we defined anxiety as fear and worry. We looked at what anxious fear and worry is and what it is not. We talked about how our bodies and our souls are connected. When the soul is suffering, the body is going to feel it. And when the body is suffering, when it's aching, it's going to have an impact upon your soul. So when you're constantly worrying, your head, your your thoughts are turning, right? When you're constantly worrying about something, your muscles are going to ache. Your mind is going to race and that's going to cause you to lose sleep and on and on, right? Your souls have an effect upon your body. 
Last week, we saw that depression is physical and spiritual. There's always going to be a spiritual component involved in your depression. And we need to treat the body and the soul if we're going to be healed fully. We saw that it's not abnormal and it's certainly serious. We also looked at how it is cyclical. It starts with a problem, usually involves a sinful response to that problem, which leads to greater problems. Maybe the problem that you began with was something that was outside of your control. Maybe you were let go from your job. For no good reason. I mean, you were a good employee. They just had to, to cut um, some, some budget. So you were let go. And you then respond with small thoughts of doubt and a lack of faith in God and not trusting in his sovereign plan. You're down. You can't find pleasure in anything. You're struggling to sleep at night. During the day, you're fatigued. All the while, your heart is pouting with self-pity, saying, you didn't deserve this. So you veg out on entertainment or food or laziness. And Satan then uses all of that against you, making you feel even more and more like a failure convincing you that everyone around you is disappointed in you and that God does not care. This only leads to greater depression and despair. Maybe the problem that you began with was directly your fault. Maybe you did something like you gambled half your money away. This makes you feel extremely guilty. It causes strife in your marriage because your, your spouse brings their own sin into it and they don't, they don't respond well. But you respond with unbelief in a different way. You try to fix it in your own strength. And you try really hard to please God. You try to justify yourself by your own performance. And inevitably, when your performance doesn't stack up and fall short, you feel false remorse. You then overemphasize your depravity, saying things like, even when you read your Bible and you pray, you feel like you're unworthy. Constantly focusing and overemphasizing your depravity, which means you are de-emphasizing your union with Christ and his performance on your behalf. And inevitably, you grow more weary. And finally, some of you, maybe the problem that you began with was the depression itself. You don't know what caused it. You don't know where it came from. And you prayed good prayers, good prayers. Godly prayers like, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. And nothing changes. And in fact, you feel worse than you did before you prayed. Suddenly you find yourself unable to find joy when you're around your friends and your family. Simple things like smiling and laughing and talking become increasingly difficult for you to force out. You have zero desire for the word, prayer, or fellowship now. And now you start doubting your salvation. You have no sense of assurance. And your satisfaction is not being found in God, so you turn to idols like alcohol or pornography, which only leads to less assurance and more guilt. Do you all see the pattern of this? And how we respond with wanting to be justified in our own strength and only leading to more weariness or wanting to be satisfied outside of God, only leading to more weariness. 
Richard Baxter was a Puritan pastor who dealt with depression and anxiety all throughout his ministry. He says this, individuals already prone to melancholy are easily and frequently thrown even more deeply into it through undisciplined patterns of thinking and unchecked emotions. How are you responding to your sufferings? How are you responding to your trials, to your depression, to your worries? Maybe it's caused you to neglect your responsibilities or it's affecting your performance at work or it's causing strife in your marriage. We must confess and repent when our sinful responses have caused greater harm. Now we're going to look at how we directly respond to depression and anxiety. And a lot of what we talk about tonight may sound simplistic. And this is not to suggest that being healed and freed from these things is easy. It is to suggest that when we are hopeless or panicked, we tend to isolate ourselves. And we tend not to listen to anyone other than our own afflictions and ourselves. And the path to freedom and healing is not a complicated one. And when I say that, I mean that, yes, it will be long and it will be grueling. But we know how to go about change. We know how to be healed. We know how to be fight, how to be steadfast. The Bible has told us we may struggle with anxiety and with depression, but we struggle with faith. We struggle with hope and with obedience. But don't think that that means that having hope and having faith means easy believing. We struggle, but we struggle with faith. We're going to look at what that means. We're going to go over what Dan Gannon, I'm not sure if he's actually coined this term or not, or if he's borrowed it. He calls it the quadratic formula. Believe right, think right, do right, feel right. We see this play out all throughout the scriptures, specifically in Philippians 4, 8 through 9. It says in this beginning part, you're going to see this progression. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard in me, practice these things, do these things, and then the God of peace will be with you. Then you will feel right. You guys see that? First, we have to make sure that we are believing the right things and turning away from unbelief. So believe right. Let's look at that. Romans 8, 5 through 8. For those who live according to the spirit or according to the flesh set their minds in the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds in the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If we want to please God during our depression, we cannot be living in the flesh. We must set our mind according to the spirit, which means we properly believe in God. This means seeing God for who he truly is, beholding him who has revealed himself to us through his word. So first, 
and we dwell upon the attributes of God. God is self-sufficient. God does not need anything outside of himself. He has always existed and he has never needed anything to maintain his existence. This means that we are utterly dependent upon God for everything. In America, we don't really face this much, but we're dependent upon God for food. You're dependent upon God for water and for shelter. He causes everything to depend upon him and he demands that we acknowledge this dependence. So you who are struggling with anxiety and depression, you who are wise in your own eyes during your suffering, I am begging you to acknowledge your dependence on the all-sufficient God. The one who cares for your physical hunger and gives you food, will he not care for your spiritual thirst and give you living water? God is also omniscient. God has complete knowledge of everything. Psalm 139, one through four. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it together, altogether. God alone has the sufficient knowledge to tell us what our problems are and who we are and what we need. We are fully known and we are fully loved in Christ. So when your, pre- your depression tells you that no one cares, when your depression tells you that no one understands what you're going through, God does. When your depression tells you that everyone you talk to about it is wrong, God is not wrong. God is also love which means that he gives himself to the benefit of others. His love motivated him to act for the benefit of the world at the expense of his son. So not only does God know what is best, not only does God do what is best, he does it for your good. And the triune God is the only one who can truly love us perfectly in this way. God is also infinite not only is God self-sufficient and omniscient and loving, but he is all of those things infinitely. You will never be able to exhaust his presence. Since you're dependent upon him for everything, you're never gonna be able to exhaust him caring for you. You're never gonna be able to exhaust his love for you or his knowledge Who else can you say this about? There is no one else like this. And believing right, secondly, means remembering God's covenant, loving kindness, and faithfulness. If you have been called by God, if you have been regenerated and repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ, the God of the universe is your God. You are his child. Christ has upheld the condition of the covenant for you. It has been sealed with his powerful, salvific, innocent blood. God is going to be true to that covenant with you no matter what. He will be your God 
you will be his child no matter what. Look at Isaiah 49, 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Believing right means believing that you were fallen in sin and utterly dependent upon God. It means believing God places trials and sufferings in your life for a reason. He will accomplish his purpose through it. And we may fight against him. We may quarrel. We may lack faith. But he will not stop until he accomplishes what he sets out to accomplish. He is sovereign over your depression. And he wants to use it for your good and for the good of his kingdom. We are all going to suffer. Whether it's depression or cancer or infertility. Let us suffer with faith. You may have way more things to be anxious about than I do. Okay? You may have zero idea how you're going to pay your bills this month. You may be single. And day after day after day after day, you grow weary in that. It's exhausting. Maybe your child is wandering and chasing after destructive things of the world. Be concerned about these things properly and set your sights on the things of God. Romans 5, 3 through 5. We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul was able to rejoice because he was aware of God's divine purpose through his suffering. Jesus suffered the ultimate spiritual thirst for you so that you would be thirsty no more, so that you would have peace. Look to the one who has endured injustice on your behalf and makes you fit for the presence of God. Look to the man of sorrows who was acquainted with grief, who was despaired and afflicted. Look to the one who has borne your griefs and carries your sorrow, who was crushed for your iniquities. Look to Jesus. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Because this servant of the Lord in Isaiah 53 has come and accomplished all of this 2,000 years ago, we can rejoice and cling to these words alongside of Israel and Judah. These words in Isaiah 54, fear not for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded for you will not be disgraced for you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more for God, your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name and the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. You can rejoice in this. Wow, child, you who are weary, rest in that. It's only when we believe rightfully that we'll be able to think rightfully about God, about ourselves, about our problems and the solution. If we start with think before we start with believe, we will be in great danger of making our own thoughts and desires ultimate. 
and then we will suddenly create our own false idea of what we want God to be or what we want God to do. And we're not going to be healed. When we start with the gospel, when we start with who God is and what he has done for us, we realize that we need nothing outside of him. And then we are able to think rightfully. So thinking rightfully first means remembering your past enjoyment and fellowship with God. Psalm 42, what we sang in the third song. In verse four, he says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with a throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. If right now you're thinking that God is not good, remember your salvation. Remember your baptism. Thinking rightfully means thinking rightfully about sin. We need to identify it. We need to call it for what it is and we need to repent. So as you have responded to your sufferings, as you have responded to your depression, how has your sin contributed? First John 1, 8 through 10. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Thinking rightfully means taking your thoughts captive. And this looks like identifying hopeless thoughts and exchanging them for hopeful thoughts. We're going to look at Lamentations 3 again. Verse 17 through 18, he says, My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished and so has my hope from the Lord. And these thoughts of no peace, no happiness, no energy, no hope were not an abnormal response to what was going on. God was punishing his people who had turned from him. This author of Lamentations is afflicted, but the author chooses to think about the covenant promises of God. He exchanges hopeless thoughts for hopeful thoughts. Verse 21, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. He will be your God. Taking your thoughts captive means putting off thoughts of yourself and off of thoughts of your circumstance and putting on thoughts of God and truth. And thinking rightfully means changing your perspective from the here and now to the eternal and the heavenly. Colossians 3, 1 through 3, if, if then you have been seated, if, you, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. As you set your mind on what is above, your affliction starts to feel more and more light and more and more momentary. Because what is being prepared for you is an eternal weight of glory. The world does not change. Our circumstances may not change, but our hearts can. If you are consistently not being filled with peace and rest and truth, you're going to grow weary. If you try to understand your affliction in your own strength, through your own perspective, you're going to get more and more depressed. But as you enter the sanctuary of God and look to the things that are eternal, you can be filled with peace 
and with hope. But oftentimes when we are experiencing something like depression or anxiety, our focus is solely on our circumstance changing or our feelings changing. We may pray things like, God, please take this away. I don't understand why you haven't taken this away yet. What am I doing wrong? God, please. Is there anything wrong with asking God to do this? But hear this, it can be selfish to ask God to change your circumstance if you are doing so apart from his will and ultimately apart from submitting to him. We say, take this away, God. God says, no, I have something even better for you than your depression going away right now. It's not going to seem better to you in the moment. It's going to hurt. But as you go with Christ into sufferings and as you are disciplined by God, you can rejoice in the fact that this will make you more Christ-like. The problem is, is that this often is not what we want. If we were being honest, we don't want to be Christ-like. We would rather be comfortable. We don't want godly wisdom. We want answers. We want answers now failing to realize that God is the God of all comfort and failing to acknowledge that Christ's burden is easy and his yoke is light. So I challenge you during a hard circumstance, during your depression, during your anxiety, ask God to use those things in your life for your sanctification and for his glory. He will answer that prayer. When you're struggling with depression, you may have to wake up every single day and choose Christ, choose to fight, choose to wrestle with your own thoughts, with your own feelings and wrestle with the scriptures. You may legitimately have to place, make a choice to place your faith and your trust in God. Think of the refining, the renewal, the growth that will take place as you do this day by day. You may have to pray again and again for wisdom or for strength or for, for faith. We so easily think that if our circumstance changed, then we would bear fruit. Then we would serve in a church. Then our marriage would get better. If my circumstance wasn't so difficult, then I would disciple my children. The depression and anxiety may be there so that you will pause and run towards God more. couldn't it be possible that your continual endurance in prayer and in faith and going to him over and over again is producing more fruit in you than if your depression vanished? If we are believing the right things and thinking the right things and we're going to do the right things for the right motives, with the right motives and with the right goals. We can do the right things, but if we're not believing the right things, as we do the right things, it's going to be with the wrong motive and the wrong goal. And it's not going to be pleasing to God. First Corinthians 10, 31 says, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So doing right means we choose obedience no matter how we feel. So we, we, we choose to do these, these spiritual disciplines like prayer and Bible study, Bible intake and, and going to church. We choose to be obedient in activities of daily living, like spending time with your kids or doing your best in your job. 
or ironing your clothes. Do people still do that now, by the way? I'm sorry if I just threw my wife under the bus, I might have. <laughs> but if you see me up here with a wrinkled shirt on Sunday mornings, you know why. <laughs> Choosing obedience means serving, serving the church and serving your spouse. So identify areas of your responsibility towards God and others that you are not fulfilling because of your depression, because of your anxiety. That's one of the best things that you could do. So what has God called you to do that you cannot pass on to someone else? As a mother, as a father, as an employee, as a church member, what has God called you to do? Don't let sorrow and worry fill your heart to where you do not have the capacity for anything else. It has taken an improper place. Maybe doing right means taking better care of your body. Be honest about your physical health. Are you eating right? Are you sleeping? Are you exercising? And if you, if you suspect that there may be an organic problem, go to a doctor and get a complete physical. Maybe that's the best thing you can do to do right. So often, doing right can feel like the hardest part when we're not, when we're depressed and when we're anxious. But the word of God tells us what we are called to do. It does not say go and do if you feel like it. It says go and do. We know what we are to do. All of this leads to feel right. We're about to wrap up. The secular goal of feeling uh, uh, really as a whole is to feel good, right? It's happiness. Do what makes you happy. The biblical goal is to be good as you have been united to Christ. And so if you believe, think, and do right, it does not mean that you're going to feel happy all the time. It does not mean you're going to have it all together like that person on social media. It means that no matter what comes your way, you can be content with who God is. No matter what comes your way, you can be content with what Christ has done for you. You can be content with your eternity and with your godly purpose here on earth. Probably the most out of context taken verse in the Bible is Philippians 4.13. Let's look at the two verses before that. Paul says, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You can endure. You can be content in anything because he is your God. You can be content amidst your sorrow and your grief and your depression because God hates suffering and you know you believe that he is in the process of making all things new. You can be content when worry and fear swarms around you because your, your eternity is secure with Christ. Feeling right also means we still want to care for temporal things properly. We want to feel rightfully towards these things. Doesn't mean that we just neglect them altogether, right? But we, we do this with a concern for the eternal things. That order of believe right, think right, do right, feel right literally gets reversed with the ways of the world. 
the world starts with, with feel. A young boy feels like he wants to be a girl. Whatever you feel, it's good. Sleeping around and being sexually immoral works for you. You go, man. And we have to start with what we know to be true, not with what we feel to be true. When we notice that we are struggling with these things apart from faith and apart from hope, we start the process over again. We believe. Y'all, all of this is but a small taste of how the Bible calls us to respond to our depression and anxiety. There's a lot more to be said, but I'm going to stop. Next week, my goal is to talk to you about how you can help someone with depression, how you can walk through someone with anxiety. And uh, I would like to address suicide a little bit. And I'd like to get to medicine more, but you may have noticed that I've packed a lot into these first two weeks and there may not be time. But these are biblical principles that a lot of us have heard many times before. If you are struggling with depression or anxiety or panic attacks, please do not be so prideful to think that you can do all of this on your own. Please do not be so discouraged to think that you are lesser because a lot of the things we talked about tonight is hard for you. You're not lesser if you're struggling with those things. Now that we are here to walk through these things with you, confessing your weakness, your need for help, your failures is the strongest, wisest thing for you to do right now. If you'd like to talk more about counseling, about biblical counseling, what that looks like, please talk to me. I pray that you'll turn to Christ and to the church for help. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful for these people that you have brought here tonight who are eager to hear your word, who are eager to, to know how to deal with hard things, with worries of the world, with fear and with sorrow and with grief. Thank you that they are here and they want to help others through these things. God, I ask that your word will penetrate our hearts and guide us as we seek to be obedient to you. God, would you let our emotions reveal where our love and our worship is wrong? Would you help us to repent? Would you help our love and our worship to be gazed only upon Christ? We love you, Father, and we praise you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.